When they heard you've recycled your jerseys and took it one uh, step too far, <laughs> it's that so MLS. Oh, the North man. American Soccer Podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello. That's a good line. That was Nick, a, how are you? I'm great. That was a good line. I was trying to work that into some sort of opening line, and I couldn't. I couldn't do it. But that was <laughs> m- much better than anything I was drumming around in my head. They, they, it, it's no game particularly, but they had the. It's it's a reference to these parlay uh, ocean plastic recycled jerseys, which sound like a great idea. In in as Whitecaps fans, I came across it first as a piece of Whitecaps promotion. And it makes a lot of sense for the Whitecaps. Both the idea of it being ocean plastic, uh, the colors make sense. It fits with the, the overall design of the team. But in general, and I think this is true with so many MLS merch things, when you have to fit every single team into navy blue and teal and have the exact same design, and then maybe this is just a problem for us, watching the highlights for every game and they all every team looks exactly the same it becomes so much less cool yeah i mean i totally get the reason why they did it i mean it doesn't make sense to produce 28 different kits for 26 different kits for uh for one day for one match um arguably then it's not really a thing you'd maybe need to do but uh, yeah i agree i had no idea what teams i was watching most of this week so uh apologies in advance if i get teams confused um, I kind of wish they had done a thing that was like they follow the players out to the Pacific garbage patch to actually collect the plastic to make into the jerseys. Because it's kind of one of those <laughs> things where it's like, I mean, I, I guess I really want to trust that it's recycled ocean plastic. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm not. This isn't, you know, me trying to raise a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying, I mean, you could kind of call it whatever you want. And it's not like we can check. And I just think that would have made some great extra content well i think the thing is it creates awareness but as i like this is an important environmental issue um i think that uh it doesn't actually like spread any education about it like i watched we we both watched an above average amount of mls this weekend um both in terms of full games and highlights and it's like uh compared to the average person and i don't say i don't think that i came away any more informed about the issue involving ocean plastics no no i just knew they were there no and i mean it is kind of just speaks to the larger issue of the like the consumptive element of trying to battle climate change of like we're gonna produce new jerseys it's like okay it's recycled plastic but it still takes energy to make anyway it was confusing it's as hell. Enough. It's totally fine. Everyone lived. Um, I just really wanted to see, like, Pozuelo out in a raft, just, like, skimming the surface of the Pacific Ocean. But maybe next year. A lot has, uh, a lot has happened this week, or since we, uh, <laughs> since we spoke with you. Since we spoke with you last. There were 900 um, games since we last talked. Yeah, uh, the the big breakthrough for the Whitecaps was was against was when LAFC went to town, and that uh, was not the only time we heard from LAFC this week. It was not. So I don't know if you got a chance to hear this or not, but uh, Bob Bradley was kind of quoted as saying he did an interview with somebody, and he was just talking about the overall quality of soccer in North America in general, and it was kind of a response to him being asked about like LAFC setting the standard. 
And essentially his comments, which were pretty obnoxious, yet I think pretty on the money, was that he really sees a lack of quality across the board in North America and at the USL level, There's and in MLS as well. He still sees soccer largely being kind of just like two teams slugging it out, going at each other. It might be a physical match, but there's not much like craft or understanding of the game and that's hurting the sport. And I mean he doesn't he doesn't explicitly say like oh LAFC is the best team, but I think he's sort of saying like well it would ju- it would just be nice if this is the way that teams played soccer. Like LAFC isn't doing anything all that special. We're just coaching our team properly and having people understand positioning, working on fundamentals of the game rather than just sort of trying to develop super fast, super athletic players, which is, that's a little bit of my commentary added on to it. But essentially the idea that North American soccer has just kind of become teams battling it out, which maybe you agree with, or maybe you don't, but we certainly saw some evidence of that this week, I think. I'd say that that's something you've definitely seen a lot of this season in, in as much as anything else that almost explains um, like why you have reverses some weeks, like like why you have teams that you would really expect to not lose lose, and why you have, team, have teams that would expect to to win not win. Um, and I think that this is almost a conversation that's been going on since uh, the 2016 MLS Cup final when that ended in zero zero in penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I think it ties into both of LAFC's games, and certainly in Vancouver's game against LAFC, which uh, I think we could all say we were surprised that Vancouver came away with three points in this one. But part of what Mark Dos Santos has been trying to build, and I think where there's been this impatience, is that there is a certain amount of care and attention being shown to fundamentals and trying to get all the little things right instead of just trying to produce a team that's really great at counterattacking or a team that can just hunker down for 90 minutes and then whop in a goal. This is a team that's actually trying to focus on being playing really good soccer. And that's something that takes time and something that a lot of players in MLS aren't necessarily used to. I think that the the the, the one the one place where I will pump the brakes on this is that it's very easy to make this appeal to the fundamentals when you have Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi. <laughs> yeah. A lot of teams are not dealing with that kind of quality, and I mean everybody's dealing with the, the everybody's working under a salary cap. Um, so although there are some teams that are that have more resources than others uh, for for designated players and for TAM and, and stuff like that, um, it's not. The it's not the exactly the most pronounced, but I would say that whether it comes down to squad sizes or or just the continuing demands of 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 player pools and stuff like that in, in expansion drafts, teams are always like trying to figure it out a little bit more. I think there like mm-hmm. um there isn't the ability to. Um, really sort of bring players along for a while. Uh, you don't have the, like, you know, you don't have deep benches. So if you've, 
got an injury, all of a sudden you really have to, you really do have to scrap. Yeah, as as Peter um, Vermees found out the hard way this week. Yeah, like, so the tough thing is, I don't think he's wrong, and I think that this is a great um, antidote to what people were talking about with Atlanta last season as well, where it's like, it's not... It's not exactly rocket science in that way. I mean, you you're it's not groundbreaking. You have good players, and you encourage them to attack in in you you encourage them to attack well, or even sure. Well, and and to bring it back to the Vancouver game or games, I suppose, it, it, I think so often we're fixated because it's a salary capped league. We're fixated on players. And we forget that there's also systems of play. There's coaches and there's systems of playing yeah. that come into it that I think often gets overlooked in sort of the popular conversation, that it's not just about having quote-unquote good defenders. Um, it's about how you're coaching the team to defend as a unit, to play together, that seems to be missing from a lot of teams. That they, If it was just as simple as bringing in a couple of great attacking players, then, you know we would see maybe a little bit more consistency from some of these teams. But taking it back to Vancouver, this this win kind of blew me away. What was your take away from Vancouver's week? Uh, I think that that was a real wild result. <laughs> um, it was really taints in, in a way that some, some matches weren't this week in terms of the, the early goal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly like it sort of was it dragged out forever before the change happened. Mm. Um, Vancouver's goal comes relatively early in the game. Um, I think that the thing... We've always talked about Vancouver kind of having the pieces, but like not really being able to put them together so far this year. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, they they got the lead, they held the lead... They had great strength in the midfield and strength in defense in terms of holding that shape that was really important. Um, But in this game and the other game, there really wasn't a lot else. Like, there weren't really many other dimensions to the game. Mm -hmm. And and they they went to play Orlando with basically the same approach. And they weren't able to get a goal. And... They were also not able to just hold on to zero zero for the whole game, and I feel like we are. I'm very happy. I was very happy with the with the win. Um, it was a long time coming, and it, it sort of validates some of the the ideas. But with the the loss in the next game, it kind of felt like we are awful late in the season to be at this level of learning. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, and it was sort of like the, you know, if we'd done this show and Vancouver hadn't played a second game, we would we, we could be saying it's finally clicking. And may, it may have not been perfect or a stunning Whitecaps performance. However, it all the things finally came together and worked, and they beat the best team in the league. So we didn't need it, all the pieces to necessarily come together. They beat the best team in the league. You know, obviously shutting down Vela is key, but where a lot of teams get taken out of the equation is they send three players over to cover Vela, but he's good enough to be able to still sneak a ball out to Rossi or Mark Anthony Kay. Um, it's not like mm-hmm. LAFC doesn't have other attacking pieces that can finish really choice passes that are coming into the box, 
But with Ali Adnan basically able to hold Vela by himself, that meant that the team could hold a very solid shape and not get pulled out of position. And with everybody understanding where they needed to be and moving in blocks and staying nice and compact at the right moments, that allowed them to defend better. And I think for large portions of the Orlando game, that's something that we saw as well. However, if you're going to be holding on to a game for so long, I mean, that goal that comes, I go, it could have been any team against any team. If you're defending for long spells like that, it's just, it's a great pass and it's an awkward deflection and the goalkeeper can't see through his defenders. So there's really nothing that can be done. It is it is what it is. And this is Imbom against LAFC. So, uh, actually, his goal is a little similar. No, sorry, this is the Orlando goal against Vancouver that won, yes, that, won yes, that game. Yes. That, yeah. you know, having to defend for so long meant that we lost the game. And, and, and so that, to me, is still where I go. What else can you really say about Vancouver? Because, yes, we have this great win against the best team in the league. Everything comes together. But then we, sh- granted, we hop on a plane and fly the longest travel distance in MLS to Orlando, but just kind of run out of creative ideas. And and it seems to be that Mark Dos Santos has also noticed the attacking pieces really aren't there, and maybe gambling on Montero was the wrong call. I think that it's almost, when you talk about Montero... Uh... It's almost the reverse of a risky gamble. They they thought they were getting a sure thing. Yeah. Because it had been something that had worked before. Um, the unfortunate thing is just that it's not the same. Uh, is that he just hasn't had the same impact. Or at the very least, this is almost like I kind of complain a lot about the Whitecaps sending strikers to the moon. It's like he worked in that. That's the system in which he worked in. And now the Whitecaps are trying to build this sort of rhythmic system that relies on movement between uh, Imbom and Ardes and Ali Adnan. And it's like Montero almost, I feel, works better as, like, you know, the lone hero. Totally. And and to be fair, because it's something I've brought up a lot in the past, I don't think Kamara would necessarily fit into this system as well. You need a you need no. a striker that is uh, is definitely strong and has good movement, but is also going to be uh, a provider in and out of the box. Somebody maybe not. I mean, sure, it'd be great to have Carlos Vela, but like somebody in the Vela kind of mo- mold, where he's also doing a lot of the hold up play and a lot of the work. I act- ironically, I think that somebody like Masato Kudo or Octavio Rivera would actually do quite well under this <laughs> MDS system. But I'm not gonna talk too much about what could have been <laughs> um uh you talked about travel uh one game that i was able to uh, and we should actually say just before we move off of lafc mm. that the lafc result that we're talking about is 4-1 against seattle yesterday which i did not watch um i only saw little pieces of it and i think i can pretty much summarize with uh everything that we said about bob bradley and his comments came true in this game where uh Seattle is a good team, but some of the fundamentals are lacking at times, and LAFC's pace and movement just completely tore them apart. And it was nice to see Seattle get a goal and for a moment kind of have themselves back into it, but this one was all LAFC, and they're just going to be 
such a difficult team to beat this season, and I don't think most teams in MLS have the systems in place to do it. It's interesting because they were they've both been uh, key teams so far uh, this year. Also, uh, that was on Sunday. I missed I misspoke. Uh, one game that I got to see yesterday um, was New England Montreal. Mm-hmm. That really looked like it was going to be one of these these slug these low boil slugfests that Montreal has been having until all of a sudden in the last 15 minutes they just decided to score three goals on the hop this is such a bizarre game at first because when you sent me that message about the game I was kind of like what and then I I realized I'd missed it and watching it is like for seven, what is it about seventy minutes? It looks like it is just going to be maybe a nil-nil, maybe a one-nothing for whatever team just happens to get a chance. But for most of the match, nothing really happens, and then the last ten minutes, uh, all it takes is one, and it seems like that first goal is just sinks New England and forces them to go forward, which then opens up a ton of space for Montreal. They had such a strange. So their, their, I guess, weekend slash week starts with this 3 nothing loss to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philadelphia looked great, had a lot of layered play. And then, okay, so this comes from a Atlantic, uh, or, or sorry, an athletic article. Um, they tried to leave on Thursday from Montreal to go to New England, which are very close locations geographically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the plane got delayed and they spent seven hours at an airport. Uh, and then the, the, they had been waiting for this delayed plane and they had to cancel the plane. So they went home, they, uh, they went home, they slept, they woke back up, they went back out to, uh, the Trudeau airport at 10 o'clock to catch a charter plane. Um, the, that was supposed to fly into Chicago's Logan airport. Logan refused to take them because they didn't want to deal with customs. So they had to fly to another different nearby airport. Uh, but then they're all on the plane as they're working this out. Thus, this other far away airport doesn't have customs. So <laughs> they have to get off the, they have to get off the plane, go back into the airport uh, get back on the plane and then fly to the States. They arrive in New England. They arrive in Boston with less than four hours before. Oh my God. After being traveling. Yeah. Cause it was what it was. The, they arrived at the Montreal airport at 3 PM on Tuesday for a scheduled 5 PM commercial flight. And they arrived. They, they touched down uh, in Boston at 3.30 p.m. the next day. Yeah, I mean, hey, sometimes nothing says team bonding, like <laughs> spending some quality time on the tarmac together. They asked for the game to get postponed. Uh, MLS wouldn't do it. They are not uh, – they're not um, – you're only allowed four charter flights, and uh, MLS is not counting the two that they did take. Uh, but they just said, like, guys, we haven't got to practice. We haven't got to do anything. And they decided there was no adverse effect, which um, – uh, I guess it turns out there wasn't. Evan, <laughs> Evan Bush Evan Bush said, I guess if maybe it was another team, maybe they would have got that Ooh. one. 
He was some strong words. But you're absolutely right. They they got in. They were able to. They it really seemed, and in New England has been having these problems where they really don't see. They, they don't really seem like there's a lot going on, um, with them, uh, and the impact didn't have uh, Sapir Tider or um, Ignacio Piatti. But, but they did have. They do have Shami Shom. Who did they have? Who did they have? Say his Anthony Jackson. Say his name. <laughs> Uh, he scored twice, including once in the 95th minute, um, which was, it's great because he's been continued to, it's continued to, to be strong, but I wouldn't say he's been the focal point of the Montreal attack. So to see him get some shine was good in those two goals. They score on the 89th minute, um, with, uh, I have it here that Shom, uh, Oh, no, that's a different New England game. Um, Shom kind of, like, I think, pounces on something. Uh, <laughs> that escalated slowly and then, and then very quickly. Yeah. The, the new uh, New England starting goalkeeper, Corey Cropper, um, tries to get his hands up, and he sort of, like, volleyball serves it into the air. And it falls forward, and uh, Shamit Shom uh, capitalizes. And then Hanel uh, bags the two goals um, in just something I continue to make the blinking face. Like, where did this come from? Absolutely. Well, and given that New England had a, a pretty good earlier week result against New York Red Bulls in another game that I would say is just an absolute slugfest. Although I want to give Montreal their credit because I think part of the reason they, they've had success and are another high-scoring team that, although, you know, with some shakiness, defensively... Seems to start to um, seems to be figuring things out. Uh, I think Montreal is a team that deserves credit for having a system, a style of play, and uh, playing to their abilities and, and and playing that system in a way that really works. But New England earlier in the week beat the New York Dead Bulls, who just seem to not remember that in fact the season has started. Um, the points <laughs> do matter. We are counting. Uh, this was just a rock'em, sock'em, slug'em fest of shots back and forth. I thought Cody Cropper had a great game and really kept New England in this one. And it, it was just sort of like uh, New England had multiple chances. One eventually had to go in. One eventually did. This almost kind of goes down to the Bob Bradley point uh, of, you know, you live by the one nil, live by the one nil, die by the one nil. Yeah. It's like if you... If you are coming into a game with just the the, the idea that the laudable idea that you're just going to fight for it, um, and you don't try to ensure that you have a, like 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 a, a plan to decisively win games, um, you may not win them. <laughs> for sure, and I mean it's great for New England to get points on the board. Uh, don't get me wrong, but. Absolutely, it's like, but if you can't impl- implement that week in, week out, and really, this was not necessarily New England playing well. They did have a number of chances, but I mean, the the Red Bulls are just so out of sorts. And and talk about a team needing some coaching right now is is it's just like they've completely forgotten the fundamentals. They're trying to catch players in offside traps that aren't working, uh, and and New England just hammered them. I mean, New England could have probably won this for nothing with more clinical dis. Uh, finishing they just eventually one was going to go in for them 
One team uh, that definitely didn't come into it uh, with an attempt to battle that, that had a game plan and executed that game plan exactly the way that you would have hoped it was. <laughs> Toronto! Wait. Oh. Mm. Oh, wait. Toronto actually won that game 4-3 in... Uh, like the, with the look of sort of somebody playing Diner Dash. Rock'em, sock'em, boppers. Uh, <laughs> just, you, just such chaos. Do you think hey, maybe why Bob Bradley that. is bald is because he pulled all his hair out earlier on in his career watching s- soccer like this? <laughs> I mean, like, that's an argument for all United States uh, men's national team affiliated bald people. Very true. What a what a <laughs> wild game. Pretty much all I can say here is like I mean, if if you're gonna be scoring goals and conceding, then score a lot of goals. That seems to be Toronto's motto these days. Um I I wonder sometimes I, I know uh, obviously Greg Vanny's a great coach and I wanna give him his due credit here, but like what what's the plan here to right the ship defensively? Because this kind of performance you know, although spectacular, uh, although two amazing goals from uh, his new DP, just defensively a, a total catastrophe. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I really feel like they have been relying on the relying on the uh, the shininess of the toy. Yeah. In in Pozuelo, uh, both in terms of their own. Uh, confidence in in terms of how the team is perceived with the with the nice run. Um, I think there really hasn't been any talk of 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 new additions, mm. and and certainly with Altador looking like he's going to miss a couple of games. Um, Toronto's uh, uh, Toronto's attention is going to be fully focused on the forwards. I see here reading a little injury report that Drew Moore uh, might come back and in, might be back after a slight groin issue. Uh, and, and you know that I rate him very highly yeah. uh, in terms of his sort of defensive ability and, and his ability to be an anchor. So that certainly can't hurt. Um, it's tough with uh, it's tough with TFC. They definitely don't have. It's like they're relying so much. They're relying so much on individual effort, um, even more than they did in their key seasons. Um, the difference this year, I think, is that the individual effort is better. And, uh, and like, I have mentioned before this year that I'm heartened to see players like Jordan Hamilton and Jonathan Osorio yep. uh, playing as big of a role as the star mm-hmm. players, um, which is good. And to see them sort of be able to work together in a rhythm is very nice. Um, but it doesn't necessarily feel like there's any sort of like dominating possession or, or, or control that I think you would have characterized the, the, the championship season for Toronto. Absolutely. I mean, the things, that, though, that I think Osorio and Hamilton bring, though, is a little bit more control. And what's great to see from those two younger players is the fact that they bring more than just pace and physicality. And so often we see young stars in MLS, and that's kind of just what we're looking at. They're just, they're really, really fast, and they hit teams on the counter. Certainly, they're both fast players, but that's not the only tool they have in their tool, toolbox. And they're intelligent, they make the right runs at the right time, they've both got good hold-up play. 
Um, I think they have a great understanding of the game. So that's something that I think continues to work in Toronto's favor. But certainly, um, <laughs> it, it's going to be exciting soccer to watch. But, you know, a seven, how many seven-goal games do you need? And sure, you can say, well, they're winning them. But come playoff time, that's uh, it's a dangerous game to be playing. Um. Josie Altador will be uh, got picked up a hamstring uh, strain, and this sort of bubbled over a strange, uh, a strange conflict where he publicly stated that he thought that this was because the club did not, oh, yeah. the the club let go of a coach, yeah. uh, a training coach, um, because that coach was associated with Javinko, and said, you know. Um, Bill Manning has got to get over his ego and bring this guy back because he was supposed to be working with us to make sure we didn't get injured. And then he's not here. And now I got injured. And Bill Manning says, Oh, if you would have known, he's like, okay, he just didn't know that we are definitely trying to bring that guy back. We were just restructuring his contract because we didn't want to have a coach to just work with designated players. Um, it still kind of looks like you got rid of your coverage. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, 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 Decided not to, whatever happened, it seemed like he wasn't there. Even if, even if the team was working to bring him back, the idea that a this wasn't communicated to the designated players, uh, and b that you had your designated players without that extra, you know, amount of coverage. These players are not young. I guess Pozuelo is not necessarily at the same stage as as Altador is, but. There's clearly a reason for having had a designated player-specific coach. Yeah, there is, and I and I know it. It's nothing new to Altidore, but I do get kind of tired too. Of like, like to me, this is something that's, and maybe the players just don't have the channels and get frustrated. But to me, this it seems like a silly thing to be airing out in the public. That like, there's got to be a way. Like, surely there's somebody at the club that's going to take calls from Altidore that he can ring them up and, and try to figure out what's going on, that this doesn't really need to be in the press. Um, you know, it's not uncharacteristic of Altidore. I just sort of was like, okay, sure, now that you're injured, you're going to blame that. But it's not like you haven't been injured in the past. So That's true. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm not trying to discredit the important relationship there of a, con- a conditioning coach that's keeping these older players going. I, I just sort of thought that, like... Uh, there's probably a better way to handle this one and it, just constantly catching your club by surprise with, with statements like this when maybe they, they are trying to work something out. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to be too on the side of, you know, any front office, but it just seemed like a strange thing to air publicly. Let's put it that way. The thing, I think that it's strange, but the thing that I do have to say is that I think this is something we have been seeing out of TFC both in terms of the um, both in terms of the of Javinko and Vanderveel, people getting into bus stops and and then airing their dirty laundry to the media. It's true. Uh, potentially, in in what's the explanation for that? Uh, part of the internal scenario for that we don't know. In terms of, do they feel like they have the ability to have their concerns? aired before they decide to get on Instagram and do it? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But you're right. I mean, culturally, it seems to be something that we've seen more of in the last 18 months than not. Partially, and I don't want to dwell too long on the topic, 
uh, it does seem to feel like players using an emotional connection to the fans or the Toronto community uh, and trying to leverage that when they feel like they don't have the yeah, ear of the office. For sure. Hugely so. Um, he, uh, one striker, uh, that, that definitely got their act together this week was, uh, Alexander Katai. He sure did. He sure did. Uh, this week in Chicago, um, won a thumping 4-1 win against Colorado. Uh, he, Nikolic, we've talked about as being somebody who is, you know, sniffing at the doorstep for the longest time until he got in. Katai had also not got a goal yet this season, and he had one of those games where, uh, he's supplying, uh, he's, he's getting chances. He's supplying crosses. He, uh, um, he, he gets an assist, but he still can't get that goal, uh, until he hits the, uh, this amazing, uh, 30 yard, uh, shot from, from, from way beyond the box, uh, to seal the four, one win. Absolutely. And, it's one of those things that, like, punditry can only go so far until you realize that, like, sometimes players just have a rough go of it, and you just you can't buy a goal. It's not like Katai hasn't had a great work rate, hasn't shown up. Uh, he's been a, a presence. Certainly, you hear his name lots during games. It's not like the guy's not trying, but sometimes it just doesn't land for you. I think it was the same with Nikolic, right? And then, all of a sudden, the floodgates open. Perhaps not entirely surprising the floodgates opened against Colorado, who seemed very content to just just sit and uh, watch this game for the most part. Um, the 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 points for for Colorado you got to bring up Kamara rules as always. Yeah, great. Uh, is able to just get up above uh, for the header. Um, Colorado get I guess they are already pretty down when they get this red card. The one thing we didn't talk about in Toronto Minnesota is that Minnesota in a game that had gone back and forth so much. Picked up two red cards. Yeah, that's in right. The final, I sort of in the final about that. stretches of it, and and I feel like this is not the that's not the only team this week where teams really cut themselves off from the possibility of making comebacks by making really dumb decisions. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, and, and again, the ability to just keep your head and and see out the game a little bit, right, rather than just trying to take a risk and and play the hero, which ends up seeing you sent off. Uh, the, the the two other notes that I have for Chicago in this game are um, we've talked a little bit about how side to side movement can really mess up an MLS defense. <laughs> yeah, it sure can. And uh, in that, I think when we have seen Chicago being successful, it's when they have many moving parts that are working. Uh, and I think that I think that they were relying on a couple of pieces early in the season. Uh, a couple people, um, but now that you have Nikolic and Sapong and Katai, I feel like that is a much better important for their potential success uh, later on. For sure. I mean, the project's not finished there. I, th- I think Chicago's still got a lot of work to do. Um, I think they were a little bit unlucky later in the week against New York City. Um, I think they played an okay game, but... It's 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 hard, right? I mean, at any point in the season, it's hard, and and we see Chicago's not the only team that you know you win midweek and then you lose on the weekend, and the two almost kind of cancel each other out. Is that better than two draws? Uh, <laughs> who knows? 
Well, I think I mean, that, and, and this fun. this follows from the the travel thing. Um, as the league grows, and you look at like the the nicest of these stadiums, the idea of, and I know that this sounds like super. Um, I think when people complain about commercial, it's really hard for the average person to get. Because um, I fly commercial, but I also don't rely on my legs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, well, I mean, you do somewhat. Um, yeah. Right. Um, but uh, I think that you really have to look at maybe the expanding use of, of charter for uh, for midweek games, for games over the U.S.-Canada border, for games over a certain where the travel is over a certain number of kilometers. I think expanding that is a CBA issue that people really should look at in the next um the next negotiation window. Yeah, and, and there's certainly talk about it too. I mean other ways of increasing the salary caps, uh increasing roster international roster spots, um increasing just roster spots in general to allow teams to have more depth. There's, there's all kinds of things that I think we're going to see more talk of soon to, to help alleviate some of this. You talked about New York City. New York City had a strange week. They won 2 nothing in uh, D.C. Uh, thanks to Matrita getting a slick little goal um, early on. Uh, D- the D.C. defender Yara or Hara uh, committed this crazy foul oh, where Tinnerholm yeah. travels to the moon alone uh, and... And Hara just decides to come up behind him and, and shoulder check him uh, in the midst of zero pressure from anyone, uh, conceding a penalty that New York City could uh, even put off the post. So it was just a bizarre piece of play from everybody involved. And, um, you know, coming into this week, one team I don't think we were expecting to take six points was New York City FC, and here we are. Yeah, New York City then won against Chicago, as we talked about, um, with after uh, Castellano scored, Schweinsteiger con- uh, conceded his own strange penalty kick, and Ousted saved it. So it's the same. New York City had two wins, two missed penalty kicks, um, and it was it was just a strange outing for them. I think. Absolutely, and and that, that's kind of where I wonder: like, is this the anomaly? <laughs> like. Uh, as as good of a week as it was, and it was great for them to get six points. It if it's an anomalous week, then um, maybe that doesn't bode too well. I don't think either game was particularly great performances from them, but they're the ones with six points, so they'll be laughing. Uh, La had this. Uh, we have talked about this before, but the Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, penalties. I don't know how he draws them. There's no way that you could say that this wasn't a penalty. Andre, uh, De La Garza, like, wraps his arms around his waist. And holds them and, like, for some time. And just, just, like, he's trying to get a, he's trying to get a, an Olympic, like, he's trying to get an Olympic wrestling waist control. It really is that kind of um, thing where you're just like, okay, you know, I, I can see maybe a younger defender doing this, but AJ De La Garza's been around for a long time. I'm like, what are you doing, sir? Uh, like, at that point, I mean... Uh, <laughs> I've uh, never been in the position of having to defend Ibrahimovic, so maybe I should shut up. But, um, yeah, there's no way this is going to not be called. He used to get their own penalty when Elise is fouled 
Le- uh, Sebastian Legette thinks it's outside of the box. I think, I think there were. I think it's over the line enough. Um, even if, even if he like does most of the movement is falling, I think he is kind of over the line. And uh, it is a PK battle until um, Polenta hits with a far post header. So good on them to get an actual goal. Um, we talked a little bit about the issues that is are happening with Atlanta in their second season. Uh, they, I think it was what they they lost for the first time at home in ten months, and they got booed. Guys, chill out. Yeah. This is the first time you've seen a loss in ten months. How do you boo this? Uh, uh, this two-one win by Dallas. Yeah. Um, Jesus Ferreira, eighteen-year-old, uh, gets a slick ball uh, past Brad Guzan. Um, Barco hits the post. Uh, I really thought Dallas's goalkeeper was great. Yeah, um, uh, was it Jesse Gonzalez? That's his. That's who it is. I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but I do recall somebody looking sort of like me saying preseason results, a team that looked real, real great and was going to do real well this season was Dallas. I can't forget who it was, but I'll, I'll try to get him in here sometime to some comments. Uh, all the- you don't want to blow your own horn, but toot, toot. <laughs> but toot, toot. But, I mean, really, full credit to Dallas. Um, talk about a team with a system. They've got exciting young players. And just the the pace and execution, you know. Sure, they're not pulling off the you know the five nothing wins or, or things like that, but they are consistently winning games defensively. They're very organized, and I one of the reasons why, of course, as a Vancouver fan, I have to hate Dallas. But one of the reasons why I kind of secretly like them is because they're a team that doesn't have huge DPS. <clears throat> That is true, and I, I I think that they're a team that, as we talk about teams that are like trying to build on their own identities, they are a team that uh, that is really sticking to theirs. Absolutely. Um, uh, let's just clean up the remaining uh, the remaining <clears throat> fixtures here. So, and I'll ask if you just have anything. Some of these I haven't seen the highlights sure. for. Um, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati zero, Rail Salt Lake three. Didn't see it. <laughs> RSL to We got right. some homework um, to do. I, you know what? I feel like that's fair because goodness knows RSL has received uh, some airtime on this show, so we can miss a week where we don't talk about them. Portland finally got a win uh, against Columbus. Of all, that was their first one of the of season. All the th- times you'd think that they would finally win, this is not the team I expected them to beat. Um, At, I, this is kind yeah. of the one that I was just like, well, and I, I watched the highlights twice and I still don't really understand how Columbus lost and where Columbus seems to like, seems to just really be not doing so well at the moment. Um, I think, and I don't think that, well, I mean, the, the commentary applied that he really did mess up, but, but I think there was a, a, a chance to get an easy goal on Zach Steffen, which comes about about once a year mm-hmm. um, in terms of, in terms of being able to have him get his hands on it and push through. Um, they were able to, uh, they were able to, the other one I have here is just sort of like a, like a square wall 
that nutmegs the defender that it's uh that it was attached that, that it was the the passer was was being marked by mm-hmm. finds a bobacy pretty easily um and then not holding on well i guess portland's already winning at that point the the third goal is really just kind of um insurance i think that portland have ha- always had this in them mm-hmm. um and and it was some some issue with getting that rhythm together that they had uh i always i don't know why i look at um jeff atnella as such a sympathetic figure now um but I'm not sure either. but he he early in this game is running back at full speed to try and catch a ball it goes wide and he oh. like hits the he hits the netting like he is the goal yeah like somebody kicked him in <laughs> Yeah, like a trampoline park. He goes, he goes uh, full, uh, full head over heels. No one wanna, wants um, to look stupid in front of their friends. And there's like a, and, and this goal from Santos was the only Columbus goal. Um, was just like weird and curling and and had him looking tough, and it, I felt bad for him. Every time I see him, every time I see him in these impossible situations, I'm like, ah. Oh, don't be sad. I think he was really sad once, and now I just think of him as as consistently being sad. I I think too, like uh, you know, and I but I don't want to say it's all luck, but where Portland has been so unlucky and nothing has gone their way this season, I felt like this is the game where finally they had that piece, right? I mean, there's it's not like Columbus isn't marking. Um, it's it's just that finally everything clicks for Portland, and where we've seen a team that. Like, they haven't been totally terrible. It's just that the pieces aren't clicking. They finally all clicked, and, and then we saw a performance like this, and maybe Columbus was just kind of caught a little off guard. But Columbus is also just looking a little thin these days, and um, as much as I don't want to disparage the likes of Iguain, I think Columbus is in a little bit of a transition period, and, and Caleb Porter has some real decisions to make now about, okay, you lose Zach Steffen in the summer... Um, you've got some aging players who are great, but what's what does the future hold? Who's coming up through the ranks here? Where's the depth that's going to see Columbus continue to be uh, this really gritty team? Um, it, to me, it would just be really unfortunate if in July we see Columbus all of a sudden start to crash because they don't really have a, a clear transition plan. Um... Do I have, do I see anything else? There's the two two Seattle San Jose. Yes, and then also San Jose punishing Sporting KC earlier in the week. How did that happen? Well, wow. injuries happened to SKC for one. They're missing eight players right now, um, almost <laughs> all of them from their starting lineup. Um, so the, their depth has been an issue, but San Jose has also become a club that is the, the oppo- The mirror opposite problem to Vancouver is they finally found a way to score goals, um, but however, defensively, it's still kind of like throw your hands up in the air and, and, and maybe try to do a last-ditch slide tackle, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason to what they're doing um, on the back line. However... A team that two weeks ago we had basically written off and said they're done all of a sudden puts together two pretty solid performances against two of the best Western teams in the conference. That being said, 
a sporting Kansas City without most of its best players, and uh, they give up this 2 nothing lead over Seattle and only come out with a point. I think that's forgivable against uh, Seattle. No doubt. Uh, moving to some of the, the news from the week uh, that we didn't talk about before, um, there's been one, one big thing that also was important about the Whitecaps LAFC game is um, the execution of a, uh, a first-half walkout by the Vancouver Southsiders and um, Cover Collective and anyone else who wanted to take mm-hmm. part uh, in, and I believe it was said it was in solidarity of former uh, players from the Whitecaps women's team and the Canadian under-20 um, uh, team, women's team that relate to sort of the, the allegations that we have brought up in past weeks of the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, and it, and it was certainly um, apparently the uh, the televised version of the game did their best to avoid showing it, but it must have been hard to do because it was not just the supporter sections. There was a lot of people streaming out um, from all sections, and it's continued to just not be a great week. I mean, just before this game, the Whitecaps released another statement that kind of added another page to the previous statement they'd released which really had no new information and also came without any signature. So really just kind of seemed to rub salt in the wound. And I think now with uh, it coming to light that they hired uh, a youth coach who had been um, fired in England for um, racist behavior that the club didn't, for whatever reason, didn't know about and didn't look into, it's just been a real bad PR week for work time for the Whitecaps, and I should say, not just PR, these are cultural issues, <laughs> very important right. things within the club, but what's happened is that there's a, a huge, huge movement against the club right now, um, and it just seems to be, like, I'd, I don't know what the team's plan is here to address and and and, and change, because... It, it almost feels like they're kind of just hoping everything blows over, but uh, people are canceling their season's tickets. There's, I'm sure, more demonstrations planned. And there's been basically no word from the club about any of the things that have gone on beyond just sort of taking a really defensive stance. I want to be, I want to be, the just to, just to really detail this, this new piece of allegation. Um, the scenario is that um, the, the the Whitecaps have many academies that are not the main residency academy. Yeah. Um, including one in, in Nelson, B.C. Uh, I guess they hired a guy who had been fired, who who left uh, Knotts County after allegations that he had been involved in, in incidents of uh, racist taunting. Um, and, and he sort of left before a investigation was made. Uh, the investigation founded that the, the investigation concluded that the, the allegations were founded. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a court of law, but that is, that is what happened. Um, and, and the white caps now, the white caps essentially say that they had no idea of this and, and essentially nobody had checked. And this guy had only ever done well before I'm looking at a piece in the province um, by Patrick Johnston mm-hmm. that it has 
actually fulsome comments from Leonard Doozy, uh, you know, saying that like we 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 tried our best. Oh, I'm trying to find out where the where the actual interview came from, um, and I feel like the the interview that he gave in this piece is what people were looking for in the White Cast women's team allegations. Mm. Not that not that this really satisfies anybody because the concerns the concerns here are twofold. One is that an organization, especially in the wake of other scandals in the United States, needs to have some clear trust that when you send your kids to play at a Vancouver Whitecaps Academy, that they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, the issue is the inverse of what has been talked about with the U20, with the, the Whitecaps women's U20 issue, which is that the coach went on to go coach in other places. This is why there needs to be leadership to, yeah. to vet people to, to move. And I'm not saying that there wasn't leadership at Knott's County, but it's like, this is this is the other scenario where the reason why you can't just let coaches out into the world without uh, with you know it it was apparently like six like it wasn't that long um, from one well from from the coach leaving to the coach getting hired and in let's Vancouver. face it too the, and, like how many incidents now within this club like the, these aren't even the only two things that have happened so I mean at a certain point you have to say. Like, there's a cultural thing here. There's a pattern of whether you want to call it negligence or just not caring or whatever it is. That there seems to be a pattern of behavior that's tolerated. Or and and more specifically, I think what people's issue is the response from the club is kind of this like, well, okay, so now that everybody knows, uh, here's all the things that we we didn't know. Um, it's no big deal, but as you say, like, where's the establishing some some trust with the community and with supporters to say we're taking this seriously? Uh, I think that that's what a lot of people want, and I think that the issue – I wouldn't necessarily say that it, there is no uh, – it's not necessarily that a pattern of behavior is tolerated, but there's no ownership of – especially, I think – there, there hasn't been a demonstrated ownership of we are responsible. There's no, there's no feeling of responsibility. And it seems it, it, or at least like it, it hasn't been, it hasn't been communicated. I don't think people feel like the Whitecaps feel responsible. I, I think that that teams have this emotional bond with their, with their clubs, um, but it can be really hard when you are not. When it's hard to feel like you, um, like you can be sure that the team is doing the right thing. Um, this is something that you know we've talked about in terms of like what what makes a team. You know, if you in the Whitecaps case where you've released a lot of players, sometimes it's hard to feel like it's you know the players on the pitch. Sometimes it's hard to feel like you have the ultimate trust in the front office. Um, the one thing that I makes me feel really good is that this protest was taken um, in, in in support of the players, to not just the players that are on the pitch now, but the past yeah. players. To say 
and, and, and to me, that's like one of the things, I guess that's one of the things that's left is the community around the team in terms of fans and players and alumni. Uh, that may be the, the, the remaining thing that, that justifies the team existing. And, yeah, and I, and I think people, it's very easily forgotten that that also, the answer to your question, I mean, that is the club. We want to see ownership of we want to see ownership and responsibility, and in that is uh, that is something we're looking for in the in the coming days because because a lot of this is in the realm of allegation. A lot of this is is people need to uh, with with all of these cases, of course, allegations need to be tested. But there's just the the response is what we're looking absolutely, for. and and that that really is the point. Is it's like uh, like. People want answers, even and like those answers may even absolve you of some wrongdoing. But like to just sort of pretend that nothing is going on or it's all in the past, or that it will, hoping it'll just go away, um, we just don't live in that time anymore. And and thank God no. we don't. Uh, the remaining thing where, uh, I feel like we got to get out of here. Um, but I did want to acknowledge that this is, uh, that after a long time, uh, the Canadian Premier League is having its opening weekend this weekend. Yeah, they are. Um, so go, uh, go watch that. Many of the opening games are going to be on CBC. Cool. I didn't know that. I'm going to watch some. Go, uh, go listen to our, uh, our episode where we talked to Stephen Hart. Yeah. And we'll be able to sort of talk more about uh, about how that opening weekend uh, unfolded about- next week. Until next week, where can we, until our CJ Sapong appreciation episode, where can we find you, you online? You can find me online on uh, Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I'm an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. You can find this podcast at thatsomls.com and wherever podcasts are found, please rate, review, and subscribe. And until next week, don't get sent off. When you're tr- when you're losing by only when you're losing by only one goal, don't get two players sent off.